Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. I am your host, as always, Timuchin, and with us is our regular crew. We have Gally over there with his new basement. What's going on? Why, how come the lights aren't on, man? You're trying to save on the electricity bill or what? Well, I, I'll turn them up, I guess. Maybe they're not up high enough. No, I was talking about the Christmas lights on the Christmas tree back there. Oh, oh yeah, that's a good idea. It's not very fast. They're not very fast. Uh, and then uh, we have Grinch himself on the other side over there. Bickler, what's going on? Turn it off. It was better with the law. <laughs> That's what I was expecting. Welcome back, Paul. And back from the Christmas party itself. Thank yeah, you. I hate you guys. A lot of people found that very confusing. They didn't know if you were taking a dump and needed like kind of like a huge tank behind you or what the hell. Was yeah, very on. fancy bathroom. <laughs> Yeah, having tasted the beer from there, though, I'm going to have to say they do make some good stuff. So, okay, well, Bickler is back. So let us celebrate with trivia. Yes. So we all know the comedy this morning. We'll get to that probably right after this. I really didn't want to spend too much time on the Champions League game last week. Uh, I figured we'll spend a bit more time with the Champions League moving forward, touch up on the Villa game, and kind of like a take a quick peek at the games coming up. But the trivia, and you know, I really expect you guys to have studied up for this, but you guys are lazy, probably didn't. So after the 50th draw, we are now playing Inter Milan. Your question today for the trivia is, when was the last time we faced Milan in the Champions League, and what were the scores? Ah, see, you should have, I would expect you have Zero. to study for this pickler. But let's start with Bickler, as always, who apparently has not studied. What do you have? Yeah, absolutely no idea on this. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely zero idea. Like, I could ask my 12-year-old, and he'd probably be closer than I would be. Um, you have the look of, I thought the test was next week. <laughs> I should have I seen the draw today and, and Googled some stuff. But, uh, alas... I don't know. I guess I figured maybe I'd hoped that we'd discontinued trivia when I was gone. Oh, and no. Then stayed away. Oh, no. Um, uh, dude, I don't fucking know, man. I'm going to go. I'll go 2001. No idea what the scores were. I'll say three. Don't shake your head, Gally. I said I don't know. <laughs> um, you just took my guess. Oh, okay. I was like, I thought, like, I thought it was like disappointed. Like, how no, can you be disappointed no. when I said I didn't know it? Uh, I'll go 2001. I'll go like three one over two legs. I don't, I don't know. That wasn't too bad, I guess. Okay, what you got there, yeah. Gally? So I'm gonna be clear, Paul. I embarrassed. Uh, I've embarrassed us both for the both of us during the opening segment uh, last week during the uh, trivia by misunderstanding the question and giving the most ridiculous mathematical answer. Then Someone I had to do it only slightly off. Um, so that was me really just deflecting and looking for more time as I tried to come up with some logical reason. It was a long time since Inter was in the Champions League. It's a long time since we were in it. Paul said, oh, one, I'm going to go back even further. I'm going to say it was like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go a little closer. Actually. I'm going to say we played them in 2007, and the score was 4-2 to two on aggregate us. 
Okay, we'll get back to this. Dave Leslie is already chiming in, and Anif is guru, or he has good memory, but he has definitely got the last game correct because it was 2008. We beat Liverpool. I mean, we beat Inter Milan 1-0 that game. The first leg at Anfield was 2-0. So it's 2008. Who would you guys guess to be the goal scorers then? Let's get some pass out some partial credit for the kids out there. Uh, for two zero and one zero, give me some guesses for goal scorers for two thousand eight. Bickler, Bueller, uh, Gerard, one out of the three. Uh, shit, I'm trying to think who is that. Uh, Dirk Coit time. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna two say Dirk Cal. Dirk Cowan, there's one more. Fernando Torres. Yes, Cosgrove is right. I'm not going to give you credit on that one, but yes. We got to discontinue comments on this trivia stuff, man, because we're getting – I didn't even see the comment. I was literally guessing the only three people I remember scoring goals that season. Oh, you see, I was counting on the comments for going second. That's why I wanted to go second. <laughs> but yes, the other one was Torres. Actually, the one-zero game, I believe, was Torres. Uh, let me confirm that because I was looking at this earlier today, and my memory is not the best. Yes, Fernando Torres, sixty-fourth minutes in the away game, kind of like sealed the deal in that draw over there. So that was the trivia for this week. Good to have Bickler back and understanding the question at the same time. So that week off has definitely helped you there. So that's good to see. So another. Good thing going for you, Bickler, this week is fantasy. So I know we kind of like do a recap every week. Uh, I don't know a lot of our listeners do uh, fantasy, but I did try something new this week. And I want to do like a public service announcement. Playing guys that are not actually playing their own games does not work. The real world translates to the virtual fantasy world. So I think I ended up with like three, four guys that were not playing. Miserable week for me. Even though I still had 59 points somehow, thanks to Mo and Gallagher, I think. But Bickler, with a huge 80 points and unnecessary pet trauma, is suddenly way above me. 18-point lead looks like he's up to 44. Now I'm on the second page. But that is a long way to go. But more importantly, the probably the most depressing part is Kelly had a down week with 56 points, still has the lead. We had some like huge points. What did you end up with, Gally? A measly 70 yourself, but gaining ground. Yes. Like, bottom line is Kelly is still on top, and all these games getting canceled and crap like that is only going to make it worse. I almost feel like a dual rant session we'll do with Bickler one of these days because this is just way too stupid because not only you can't change it before the games, you can't change it 15 minutes before the games. Apparently, we just found that out this week with Bickler. So this just in for a fantasy public service announcement. But what are you going to do? I already went on a bunch of rants this week, so I'm going to save it on this one. So let's start with the Champions League comedy, if you guys want. So here is the draw. Well, here is the first freaking draw before somebody put their balls in the wrong place in the UFA. And they had to move around their balls. And we end up with the second one where we now play Inter. Obviously, the first matchup was better, I feel like. Um, so, Gally, let's start with you. What do you make of this? I mean, the fiasco alone, what do you make of the matchup, I guess? 
I mean, leave it, leave it to UEFA to literally go all UEFA on itself, show up like usual, get uh, criticized for fixing things. The draw comes out. They end up with PSG versus uh, Man United. It looks like Messi versus Ronaldo, and the balls had to be rigged to make it happen just for them to admit they were stupid enough and couldn't run their own system. Uh, the moment, the moment, they announced Villarreal will be playing Manchester United. And I was watching live this morning, which just proves two things. I was up too early and I have no life. Um, <laughs> I, I said to myself, this isn't good. This is going to get ugly. And it got ugly quick. I think my favorite part was not only United complaining about getting PSG outwardly, but that Atletico Madrid then complained that Manchester United weren't in the pot when their selection was made and they got paired against Bayern, as in they would have rathered Manchester United than any other team that they could have played, which for me, that was as much um, high comedy, especially when the second draw came out and, you know, we'll get to those matchups that we actually have to deal with. But I think this was uh, UEFA versus themselves. And like usual, UEFA came out looking like they had egg on their face. Yeah, and I mean, I'm looking at like some of the matchups in the first one. I mean, obviously the big one was, uh, you know, PSG playing United. And you would think Milan was happy. I almost feel for Salzburg because they were probably like, God damn it, we got Liverpool. And then they're like, oh, great. They're doing another drawing. They're like, God damn it, we got Bayern this time. I mean, could they have drawn like any worse than they did? And I think pretty much they were on the top of the wish list for most people, I think. Uh, but I know in our Discord channel, you were talking, Bickler, that this actually looks pretty good for us. Make your case. Uh, to well, up. I'd like to go to the first draw and say that the first draw looks like exactly like what you do if you wanted to have the most drama possible with the most interesting storylines, which leads me to believe that UEFA is just the guy who's a pathological liar and got lazy and like outlied himself and forgot to keep his story straight. Like, it just seems like, I don't know, man. I, I have a hard time looking at that draw and thinking that that's not a manufactured draw. Uh, yeah. So we like, yeah, there's a lot of talk on whether like when the second draw happened, whether, you know, that's a tougher matchup for us. Look, I know that Salisbury's in the Austrian premier league. Um, I think you can make the argument maybe that Inter's got more quality across the board, but I actually think that the way that Inter plays suits us more. Um, I also think that they're pretty garbo. I don't think they're very good at all. I know that they won the Serie A last year. I know that they're sitting on top of the league. They're they're. I don't think they're that good. They squeaked by AC Milan. Like I just. I don't see like to me if like that's a problem for us, then like we don't deserve to be there anyway. Um, I think, I think the teams that are, I don't, I think there's other teams that have a lot more beef, uh, with, with the second draw than we do. Um, I don't think either way, either of those teams should have given us any problems anyway. Yeah. I mean, there's something to be said. I know like a lot of the talk was, well, we got to beat the best to be the best, or, you know, we're going to match up with everybody anyway, but there's nothing wrong with taking the easier route as you go and be able to, you know secure things earlier and things like that. I mean, Gally, who would you think out of the people Bickler is talking about in terms of saying, what the hell, man, we had a good draw. Uh, 
who do you think ended up worse from like the the first version to the second version? Well, I mean, I, I think Inter Milan ended up worse from the first version to the second version. They went from playing Ajax, a team they felt they could probably go grind out results with, to playing arguably the best team in the entire tournament right up there with Bayern, right? Playing the best. Um, I think you can argue that Real Madrid took it on the chin more than anybody else from draw one to draw two. They had Benfica, and then they ended up, you know, drawn with PSG, who I'd argue are probably favorites against them if they come out and play well at all in France. So I, I think that that's a big key there. Uh, Chelsea, like usual, right? They just do what they do, and they just kind of grease through, and they got Lille in both draws. Um, I think that was kind of in, written in the stars. But Inter, Inter really takes it hard, in my opinion. And I, I agree with Paul. They're, they're no great side. At the end of the day, the only team we didn't want to draw out of pot two was probably PSG, and I, I still feel okay if we had to play them. Because to Paul's point, you have to beat every team in front of you if you're going to win this tournament. Um, but I didn't want PSG in this round, so I would have liked to avoid them, and we did. So, you know, from here, I think you just take this job. And honestly, the second best team you do not want to play is probably Atletico. And luckily, we didn't have to play them because we already have dealt with that bludgeoning twice. Yeah, I'm not, I guess when you're looking at potential teams – that we could have been matched up with. I thought I would put uh, Inter right there because I felt they would be the tougher matchup after PSG. But I agree with what Bigler is saying. In terms of the style they play, it might help us. I just I would have preferred one of those Portuguese sides just because we do well against them and they're defensively they're always lacking and we can definitely take advantage of them and score goals against them. Even if they have like, you know, threats going forward, they always have a couple of players that are tricky to deal with. I always feel like, you know, they concede very easily. So it should be interesting. But Inter is not bad. Like I said, I just did not want PSG. I thought it was too early to kind of face him there and then. Uh, so like leave those tougher matchups to like later on in the finals. So let's talk. Like I said, I don't want to spend too much time with the AC Milan game. Uh, it was nice, got the win, got some playing time for everybody. And then we come to the weekend game, a tough, tough win, 1-0 with a penalty goal. A weekend where all the big boys used penalties to get their points. Uh, I mean, Chelsea got in the last second, but same thing with uh, United and City as well. When it comes to Villa, Bickler, were you kind of shocked with how negative they were in some ways? Or is that kind of like the kind of like only way Stevie figured he could get some points against Liverpool at Anfield? Um, I mean, I think there's a couple things going on there. I think it's partially part and parcel of what happens with Stevie coming in as a new manager and just trying to figure it out. I mean, when he went to Rangers, that's what he did. He kind of closed up shop and they played real tight football for a little bit until they kind of figured it out. Um, so I'm not super shocked on that. Um, I mean, they made it really hard for us. They did a lot of those things that, like, those low-block defenses that we don't like playing do. And for a while, it looked like it was going to be one of those games where, like, 
Trent could have had like 150 crosses in from the right and they weren't going to find anybody regardless of what happened because there's just so many bodies in the box. And, I mean, we talked about like all the dominant teams squeaking at wins on penalties, right? But I think that's also a sign of good teams because, I mean, you have to be in dangerous spots to get those penalties. And I think so. I mean, you're looking at, you know, people make it like, oh, it was this close match. And I think that's predominantly because they had one chance that probably should have been a penalty um, where Allison came out, flopped at it, missed. And, and to me, it was probably a pen. So maybe we did get a little bit lucky. But at the same time, you create your own luck. We outshot them 20 to four. They didn't have a single shot on target. We outpossessed them essentially two to one by a margin of almost 30%. So it was pretty dominant in possession for us. Um, it was just frustrating because we had so many chances and it was just they were packing the box down there. So it was just very tough. But I mean, like I said, good teams get in those dangerous areas and, you know, penalties happen when you do that. Yeah, it was kind of. Um... I felt like, yeah, we should have scored earlier. We were creating the chances, just not maybe clear cut chances, but we were always close and really. I guess the biggest thing that changed was Ox starting, right, in terms of the lineup with Jada coming off the bench. And, you know, we had to do the vintage great opportunity for Ox. But I feel like Ox in that role just gets lost and is not physically capable of being that, you know, like the Bobby role. And I was more actually expecting him to be on the wing and maybe using like more money in the middle, which we did not do a lot of. What did you make of Ox's play? I mean, I kind of fell back because I felt when he was playing his, you know, more desired midfield role, he was doing really well. He was having a good run. And this kind of like almost threw him off a little bit. What did you think, Gary? Um, I don't know if it threw him off a little bit. I don't want to give him a pass. I don't think he was that terrible either. I just think he did no. drift a little bit in and out, like you said. And I know you're not saying he was terrible, but... I thought he did okay with it. I thought the whole front three was a little disjointed at times, partially because of what Villa was doing. I mean, they were basically defending with six at all times, just sitting back and just trying to spring Watkins on the out on uh, as the single outlet. Right. And, you know, he packed it in and, and to Paul's point, it's what he did at Rangers. I'd argue he never really expanded that much at Rangers other than developing a couple wingers and, and a goal scoring threat. So he really has always coached this style. And I think this is what he he's a disciple of the game that he's most comfortable with. And I think that was the narrow play that Benitez did. And I think that's what you're going to see from Stevie for a while in this league. And it's good for Villa. I think it's going to help them maximize points, but as far as what it did to us, I think it nullified um, the width that we normally bring. But let's be honest, once again, if Robo shoots one of four times in the first half, there might be a deflection, there might be a goal. I mean, he was literally crossing from the six-yard box uh, a couple times. I mean, literally, it was him on goal, and he crossed the ball. So at some point, one of those may come find its way on net, and I think if that had happened on the right-hand side, there's a good chance one of those would have found their way on target because uh, Trent, you know, he's got a shot in him. Yeah, it's almost like he's been banned from shooting. There are a lot of times where it's a lot easier to try to put it on target than try to threat to a pass. I think I almost feel like it's not in his nature. I mean, he has had some good shots too and like forced some saves. 
I just don't, yeah, it's just not in his nature, I guess. But what did you make of the performances overall, Bickler? I mean, I know we were talking about Allison and, you know, Cosgrove says they'll never had a shot on target, but Ali was doing his best to change that. I find it very odd. I mean, he's one of the, if not the best goalie in the world. But somehow, sometimes he has these performances like this game where he just looked like, they just woke him up right before the game and be like, hey, hey, it's starting. And then, you know, like, just, like, threw him out there. He was doing some odd things, like how he was building up. Like, he was, like, in the wrong spot at times. It just looked weird overall. Still had, like, a huge save or two, I thought. Like, in terms of not even that save saves, but in terms of being in the right place in the right time to be able to, you know, kind of clear counters and things like that. But what do you make of the overall performances? Obviously, three points is good to have. But what do you say, Bickler? Um, I mean, I don't think anyone was at their – I don't think anyone had particularly an outstanding game. I'm, it was okay. Um, I wonder how much of that is just legs, like I always do, uh, because the fixtures are starting to pile up. Um, you're right about Ali. It's weird. He has games where he just looks like fucking anchorman after he lost his job and he's drinking that warm milk and, like, kicking his dog off the bridge. Like, he does have weird games like that where he's just, like – Looks completely out of it. That was definitely one of them. I don't think the weather helped, um, but uh, I don't know. It, it like you know, I, I think about the back line. I thought Van Dyke, you know that that scary moment where Watkins turned him. I thought he had an okay game, but he's still having subpar moments, which we're not used to seeing. I thought Motsip was actually pretty strong. One of these days, he's going to go touchline to touchline, and it's going to be amazing. I'm going to like straight up take my pants off and walk down the sidewalk. Uh, it's going to be uh, amazing when that happens. I thought he had a pretty good game. Um, Sadio, I mean, I thought Sadio Mane had a pretty good game, all things considered. He was causing problems. Robertson as well. Uh, you say that Trent's not allowed to shoot. I get, I don't get – like to me it's Robbo. Like, for, no, it's talking about like, Oh, okay. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, it is. It is absolutely weird because he he can be four feet in front of goal and he'll look to cross the ball sideways. Like it's it's the most bizarre thing I've ever seen. It's like, dude, you can walk it in, and he's sitting there trying to bang across far post. Um, I don't know what's up with that. I would love because for me, it's like just put it on frame. Like worst thing that happens is you shoot it straight at the keeper. Best thing that happens is it gets deflected or goes in. Like um, I'd like to see him have you know be a more direct. I thought Ox struggled in the spot he was in, mainly because in this match, when he plays in that position where almost Mane and Salah are expected to tuck behind him, um, he has to play with his back to goal. And I don't think that's his best. I don't think that's where he's at his best. I think he's better when he's running from deep directly. And I don't think he had very many opportunities to do that in that spot. Um, other than that, I, I, you know, everyone for the most part was average in my opinion, except for maybe the left side. Um, uh, Tiago had a good game. Tiago had a good game. Um, but, yeah, it was it was pretty average across the board. Yeah, with Matip, he almost reminds me, like, when you watch him, sometimes he's even shocked he's still going. Like, he's like, I did not mean yeah. to do this. And he just keeps, hold on, I'm still going. Oh, my God, they can't get it. I'm still going. Yeah, like, he's, he's like, literally he's shocked himself. <laughs> yeah, he's apologizing while he goes forward, which is awesome. But actually, like, I always feel like that's why after Van Dyke, who looked like the rest did not do him good. Maybe he does better when he plays every three, four days. He did seem a little off. 
one thing I, I kept talking about Van Dyke was how he can cut a ball like you know like with a header and be able to kind of like turn it into a counter or at least you know get it onto possession. And I noticed a lot of like just misplaced headers that were like actually easy ones too, like with not contested ones and things like that. But I still feel, especially when home, Matip is still our second best center back. And you should always be starting just for that threat alone where he can kind of dribble the ball in between the lines if he has that space. Whereas I do not get that same feel with Konate yet. Um, so... How does that translate, Galley, into our first matchup coming up this week against Newcastle? Um, I mean, as far as how does the how does the last matchup? I mean, I think it's just a different kettle of fish. You're going up against a team that, since Gerard took over, I think's conceded two goals from open play um, and two penalties, and a Newcastle team that's averaging two point four goals a match conceded. Um, you know, I, I think with Newcastle, you know what their exploits are. They're not going to put five back. They're, they're actually going to come at us because I don't think that they can play any form of defensive approach and try to stem off Liverpool. I think that they would be – their best form of defense is probably coming at us, and I don't think it will, it will look very good for them. I think it's going to be a little bit of rotation – and I would expect Origi to start if he's healthy. Um, hopefully Bobby to play a role. And I'd expect probably Sadio and, and, and Mo to start with him somewhere up front. That's probably what I think. I think Jota actually was hurt. And the only reason we saw him was because that game was nil-nil. And Jurgen knew how important it was to try to steal a win. I don't think we would have seen Jota if we had scored in the first 45 minutes. Yeah, Ben says if Leicester put four past Newcastle, imagine what our front three are capable against them. But I just feel like, you know, the way they play against, like, these teams, a team like Newcastle does see a more of an opportunity to get something against Leicester, whereas they know getting the points would be lucky against us, especially at Anfield, and they play accordingly. I mean, that's what they kind of play for. Your rotation thing actually does make sense, but at the same time does kind of scare me. Do you see a lot of rotation in this game and saving it for the Spurs? Because that almost scares me in terms of looking kind of over Newcastle because that's where we usually trip up. I just think it's just 72 hours away, so there's got to be a little rotation for this match. And then most likely some more rotation for Sunday. If it was, you know, Tuesday and Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday. I mean, this is a Thursday, Sunday turnaround. That's, that's a pretty quick turnaround, even though the Spurs will be, you know, a little bit depleted uh, with the lack of match fitness and preparation they're able to do because of COVID issues. But I think you'll see a little rotation in this match, but not much. And then I think you'll see a little bit more on Sunday. I think that's all Klopp can do right now. He's got about what, 12 or 13 fit players, which is about what he likes. <laughs> Big Lynn, what do you expect? Are you expecting in a rotation against Newcastle as well? Of course not. I mean, like, I, I don't – there's – to be fair, there's not a ton of rotation outside of the back line that you can do. Um, it, it's pretty thin right now. I mean – I guess you're probably going to see Divock get rotated in here. Ox will get rotated in. I guess those guys will probably see. Uh, 
Taki, I would love to see more of, as would everybody. I have no faith we'll see him get rotated in. Um, I don't know. I mean, Curtis Jones is somewhere with a glass eye on a beach, so I don't, I don't, I don't know what's, I don't know what else we can do. It's still pretty thin. Um, I will see some, I'm guessing, but like I just, given historic precedent and what's available, I don't expect to see a whole lot. Cosmo says Milner, which I can see Milner, Costas, Origi, Taki, Kanade. I feel like I still want Matip out there when we're playing home on this is Matip and Kanade, which I do not see happening. So let me ask you guys about Taki and see what you guys think. Because I feel like sometimes we go and we're always doing a little bit of wishful thinking. Um, when we watch some of our own players, like we kind of like try to find more silver linings than anything else, except me because I'm so negative. But do you guys see two years from now, Bickler, let me start with you on this one. Do you see Taki still on the squad playing regularly? No, unfortunately, and I hate that because I want him to. Um, I just think we would have seen more of an impact by now. Like, I think generally it doesn't bode well for people. I mean, we look at what happened with Shakiri, right? We look at, like, I mean, just these players that sort of get acquired from the outside and we expect a break into the squad just generally doesn't happen. Um, so I'm, I'm going to go with my gut and say no, uh, although I hate that because I think he deserves more opportunities and I think he's a player. How about you there, Galley? Do you see him two years from now? Is he still on the squad? Nah, if I were betting on that, you know, the old steal an old line, if I were a betting man, which I am, I wouldn't bet on that, right? That's not the way that I'd go because I think that history has shown us, to Paul's point, that players who don't break through right away struggle to make the, the, the breakthrough here. Um, I also think that COVID and timing was a really, really – killer for him i mean he got signed early that january it was supposed to be like we're gonna let him bet in for a half a season and then that whole half a season was when he was gonna meet his teammates and and learn english and and understand the way of life in england and they were in complete lockdown a month and a half after he arrived so i don't think that that helped i know it once again right it sounds like the silver linings and we're making more excuses for poor little taki um but he went off to Southampton, got a few minutes and got some opportunities. And I thought he did well. I still think for the money, it was worth it. Um, and I think that will profit off the player. I think if he was given an opportunity, he could find a role to succeed here, whether he'd be an everyday starter in two years. I don't know. But I know this, right? At the beginning of the year, when we were wondering where we'd get goals, we probably wondered or hoped that we gave the kid in Germany that just finally got a work permit an opportunity to show he could play when he scored eight goals in his first 15 games in Berlin. And I'm not saying Taki will go to some other country, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he was playing somewhere else, somewhere next and playing really well um, and showing that he was worth a shot and just given an opportunity. And I think sometimes that's the hardest thing here is, is it's not easy for guys to get their shots and it's all about timing and, I'm not sure timing will be on his side. I just think, I mean, if he is going anywhere, he should be probably going somewhere, another league. Because to me, I think that's the biggest issues. I mean, let me ask you this, uh, Galley, since you're the silver lining guy. What is his position on this team? Like, where is he slated to play? For who? 
Well, Even if he's coming off the bench, who's like who's I, I think he is a backup for the front three, and maybe that's the biggest problem when you're a Swiss Army knife and you're a backup for four spots, you're never the actual backup to any. And he doesn't have a role as the backup left wing, or I think he was bought to be Bobby's backup and possibly his replacement. And that did not translate to what he had for an opportunity. I See, think Nick, I think I honestly think that I agree with Gally. I think he was like when we signed him, a lot of the talk was he does some of these unicorn things that Bobby does in terms of like his work on pressing and how he comes into the midfield and how he opens up positions for other advancing playmakers. I think what really like, I think timing is one thing, but I think the other thing is like, I, I don't think we knew exactly what we were getting in Jota. And I think that really, I think that kind of skewed the cue in terms of the fact that like, I think Jota immediately jumped ahead of Taki um, mm-hmm. off the bat when we realized what we had in that player. And See, he, or is it, did we sign Jota because we realized that Taki is not going to be Bobby? Because I felt when we signed him based on what we had seen of him, and what he can do skill set wise, I felt that's what he was here for to give Bobby that rest and be that guy who can kind of move around a lot, create for Mo and Mane. But similar to Ox, I don't think he can play with his back to the goal and he does not have the strength. And you know, when we talk about, you know, like the wings, like you're saying, he's back up to, you know, like Mo, Mane as well. See, I do not see him on the wings either, even though. Mo and Mane are not the biggest guys. They're strong dudes. I mean, mm-hmm. Mo for sure and Mane as well. They don't get moved easily. Whereas I feel like, you know, a hard sneeze can kind of like, you know, get Taki off his place and he gets dispossessed very easily. So I feel like, you know, when you say going to another league, I think he will be successful in a league that is not as physical because he is literally in the most physical league right now. And, and I think you're spot on there. I think Taki is a number 10. And we bought a player as a number 10, hoping he'd be a really good false nine. But the truth of the matter is the reason he ripped us up was because he was a really up-and-coming number 10 playing in an attacking side with arguably the youngest, best number nine at that time coming up in the world that no one knew about. And the two of them came to Anfield and they put on a show you know, I mean, people forget that they had Holland, they had Holland, Severitzer, and and uh, they had, didn't they have uh, Huang, the dude at Wolves? Huang and yeah. the, yeah. the guy great. now who's at Bayern Munich, you know, pulling the strings. They had all these guys in Salzburg at the time, and they were great and they played well. I just really believe, like, you know, in a different system, if he was playing for Pep. He might be like a new little David Silva floating in between lines and popping up in all different places and scoring goals. But the system might work for him. And I think he's a midfielder who can score some goals and make some nice runs and does a job. I just don't think he does a job in this midfield as we've talked about because our midfielders are, you know, Henderson and Milner and, and Tiago and they're industrious. And I just don't think that's, that's, that's Taki. But to Cosgrove's point, he costs seven and a half million dollars. And when he plays, his goals per minute are actually really good for his entire Liverpool career. So you just question if he gets more opportunities, will he continue scoring goals? And therefore, it'll make the signing seem even better. 
and someday we'll profit off them. So really, it's an old, it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, I'm definitely not criticizing the purchase. I mean, uh, kind of like what the Kazra, I think earlier was commenting that it is an opportunity buy. He did not cost much. We will definitely make money off of him because now he has this under his belt as well. I just like as I watch him more and more, I kind of can't help but think my to myself that, I mean, is this dude ever gonna be the guy? Uh, or at least somebody who gets regular no. minutes. Because uh, I still would feel, you know, if you're, you know, there's a lot of talk about, like, you know, signing people in January and stuff like that. If we do sign somebody down the road, obviously, when everybody is here, I mean, who's going to be who's gonna be the one that's replaced? He would get even less minutes. So which becomes the next question, I guess. So there is a ton of uncertainty going on right now. Uh, so before we get to the Afghan uncertainty and how all this will affect Afghan and, you know, if these guys are really going to be gone, because we don't even know if it's going to matter and if we're going to have Premier League around for long with all the, like, the record number of cases for, like, players in the Premier League, uh, games being canceled. So the United-Brentford game was the last victim to the cancellations. And we before we went on air, we were kind of, like, talking amongst themselves. And, I, Bickler, you were saying, you know, a few more teams and it'd be a done deal if you have to cancel like four or five games in the same week. And with already the tight schedule, uh, it's going to be very tricky. How do you see this uh, turning out in the long run here, Bickler? It's not looking good. That's for sure. I mean, I don't think we've ever gone through a COVID surge in like basically like stopped in the middle of the surge and turned it around. So like my opinion is, is like, my feeling is this is going to get worse before it gets better. And my feeling is if it gets much worse, the season's going to be paused. So I expect the season to be paused. I expect fans not to be able to go in for a little bit. Um, and I feel sick about that because it doesn't hurt any team worse than it hurts Liverpool. So you think great. so? Why, why do you say that? Because uh, are, are you talking about the fans or the pause? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, imagine if we have to play knockout Champions League football and there's a European night in Anfield with no fans. I mean, that's we always talk about how it's the hot, the hardest stadium in all of Europe to play in. Like, it's a complete game changer. Um, So, I don't know, man. I hate it. I hate it. Okay, that yeah, that makes sense. I didn't know if you went like were mentioned the pause as the worst thing for Liverpool or the thing, but yeah, it's just. For us, I think for certain teams like City, I don't think it makes as much of an impact because, uh, you know, they're not fans anyway as much. And, you know, the stadium itself is not as intimidating to walk into when it's packed and like really, you know, like going. How do you see it, Galley? I mean, we're kind of doing like a got the crystal ball thing going here. But what do you think? Uh, well, let's just take the, the cancellation of games. I think that's a real big story and they're really, really important. Um, I think the idea that matches are getting postponed due to uh, COVID and them canceling games is is a big deal. I'm hopeful that we don't end up in another full lockdown. You know, you read reports over there about government talking about pairing back public transportation and putting limits on different things office space that kind of stuff that makes me sound like you're limiting you know distancing and that makes me think how can you have all these fans sitting on top of each other at soccer matches right um i'm with paul i think if they were to take fans out supporters out of the grounds 
I think it definitely negatively impacts us more than it does other clubs because I think that our style of play, uh, I think that we feed off the crowd and the energy. And I think there are certain teams that it makes doing the job easier. I think if you're Newcastle, it's a lot easier to not have 70,000 people hating you for 90 minutes at St. James's Park rather than going in there and listening to your manager holler instructions at you the whole match. I think if you're a pep side where I think they looked a better side because they looked like they were in training because he would literally yell at them straight for 90 minutes about what they were supposed to be doing all last uh, season. And I just think that it affects different teams different ways. And I think it skews the play and it just makes for a, you know, a terrible product. And I, I, I don't believe it, it will happen. I'm just staying positive. It won't happen. Uh, but like Paul sad as it is, I think I'd be shocked if it doesn't happen. Yeah, unfortunately, it's definitely not looking good. Don't want to be too negative about it, and I guess we can hope for the best, but it's just like the signs are all there, and it's just not like a good deal overall, which is not... It is not good, because it does... I mean, it was wanting to get it back initially, because it was back to watch the games, but watching a game with no fans and like just that lack of atmosphere is just definitely not the same. And you can tell it's not the same for the players playing as well, because even, you know, I'm sure they feel odds going out there and doing their thing. So, well, let's hope it keeps going. And it'll definitely be going on this week for us, looks like. What do you make in terms of predictions there? Bickler, let's start with you. We got two games coming up, first against Newcastle at home, then we go to Spurs. The Spurs is probably more of a question mark than anything else at the moment because we don't know how that's going to pan out. But we're definitely taking on Newcastle on Thursday, it looks like. How do you see both of them ending up? I think there'll be a strong lineup. I think it's going to be a very, very similar lineup versus Newcastle than we saw in the last match, uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of, like, Ox not in that spot anymore. Um, I think it's going to be – I'll go 4-0. I'll go 4-0. And I think the Spurs game is going to get postponed. I hate to say it. Damn, man. See, those are some serious predictions – how are we gonna follow that galley? Yeah, I'm not gonna. I, I thought my. I thought my. I just didn't want to do a score prediction on the Spurs match. That's all. <laughs> Clearly, uh, I thought my three nil was gonna be, um, you know, a confident pull for the Newcastle match. So I'm gonna go three nil. Um, I I'm with Paul. I, don't, I think you'll probably see a Rigi for Ox, and possibly someone in the midfield. Like if a fully fit Milner was available. Could he start over Hendo maybe and give him a little, give the legs a little rest maybe? Something like that? Maybe. That would be like the extent of a rotation. I bet the back line is the same. As far as Spurs go, um, I'll, I'll say I'll say we play that match because honestly at that point, you're 12 days from when the Spurs first got COVID. And it's supposed to be 10 full days after those first tests. And if if it's more than that, then then we have a real problem because if Spurs can't play for two full weeks, then how can you keep playing when these teams have these outbreaks like United and now Brighton and the teams they've cross-contaminated? So I'm going to say we play, and that game is 2-1 Liverpool. I'll say finally some good news for Spurs with all these postponements, though. 
I mean, here's the weird thing. I don't know how they're going to work it out because, you know, Spurs is in that European tournament that nobody wants to be in. Um, but <laughs> That's just, such a great – that is such a great shout, though. It, speaking it, of – speaking of, uh, you know, so, this is this, – this is like Taki to Taki Jr., right? We bought him for three million or whatever, and like 1.5 million or something, flipped him for like eight or something crazy like that. Yeah, and and he basically had one great goal on loan. Yep. Remember the, the amazing goal on loan? I think it was against City. Yep. Uh for was it Sunderland? And he, yeah, just he looked destroyed great. it. And it was like a it was like a Barini moment. We just send players to Sunderland and then we actually make a little money off them because they look like Premier League players. And then we find out two years later that Sunderland needs to play in League Two to look like an English team. It's this is this is like the opposite of what Everton would do. We bought him from the Netherlands and then we sold him to Saudi Arabia for like triple money, whereas Everton buys players and then sends them to Saudi Arabia for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, if you're like listening to us on Spotify and you're like, what the hell are you guys talking about? Uh, <laughs> uh, Galley's jersey is giving Vietnam flashbacks to David Cosgrove and giving that like, side of vibes. Yeah, where is Easy? I mean, uh, yeah, the last we heard he went there, I don't know what happened to him afterwards. Kind of like lost track. This is a, this is a, uh, a well-named, often injured, and often uh, screamed at and swore at from when he wasn't a, more on the training table, Daniel Sturridge jersey, actually, to be fair. So there's no uh, flashbacks of Asiati in this jersey, just Daniel Sturridge's soft muscle injuries leading to <laughs> late aughts angst. Okay, I'd be careful moving around the house with that jersey on. You might, like, pull something and get hurt or something like that. Quickly. Yeah. Easily. So he, he retired. Sorry, big update. He retired in 2019. Really? Just two years. Yep. Yep. He went back. He was in uh, the Arabian Gulf League. Uh, went to China, like all good things, and then he went back to uh, back to the Netherlands to his home team, where he started for for two seasons and retired. Speaking of China, I was actually let's kind of like sidetrack over here the last few minutes because I was watching the MLS uh, final, which this is how into it I was. Uh, basically, I didn't watch the overtime, but how it went to overtime was dramatic, like four seconds to go in like the 94th minutes or whatever. But, you know, as we talk about like Major League Soccer, sometimes in our Discord channel, which you should join because there's a lot of like footy talk over there that's like random, kind of like Major League Soccer. I almost feel like China tried that, where they signed some big names trying to make their league like relevant and things like that. And it just did not happen at the end. And I know we talked about this at one point in terms of like, you know, Major League Soccer. I feel like they almost like semi tried it too. Do you guys like, why do you guys think that China experiment just flopped big time? You would think they have a huge market themselves. They didn't have to, like, market internationally compared to, like, you know, what Major League Soccer battles here in terms of your target market being small. How did that league flop so bad? Because, like you said, Bickler, anybody towards their retirement age was suddenly going there because that's where the big money was for, like, these contracts. I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. My guess is it had to do with the infrastructure of paying huge wages – in a league where 
I mean, you're you're probably paying more in wages than most of these clubs are actually worth in value. Like when you talk about the infrastructure of the actual club, like that would be my guess. But like because you had such huge wage bills for some of these teams, um, that that would be my guess. But I mean, I don't I don't know. Anything else? Yeah, I always talk about you know because we're the fans of the sport, and I really want. Major League Soccer to be more relevant, if nothing else, to get more, you know, people into the sport and therefore more people to Premier League, Liverpool. Uh, it has happened, obviously, over, I mean, since I've been here, I mean, I came here for college back in like, you know, mid-90s, way to reveal our ages here. But, uh, I mean, compared to then, the interest for soccer is like night and day, and you kind of want to keep that going and you would think Major League Soccer has to be a big part of that. But let's face it, people like us and people probably who are listening to us for the most part who are fans of the sport are just not almost find it semi-comical to be interested in Major League Soccer. You're probably the closest thing to being interested in Major League Soccer, Galley. So what do you say? And and I'm and I've only really come around in the last few years because I just like going to live matches and that's what I have to go to. So um, I do agree with David. I think that it would help if there was relegation and promotion, of course. But I don't think that's a reason. Now, I'll say this about the Chinese League. I think when you have governmental control around clubs and then the government decides we're going to stop paying these high contracts so the players can get out of said contracts because they are not worth anything because the government decides we're no longer willing to pay you foreigners this money – um, I think that means the league is a joke. So the players no longer need to be there because there's no more money, right? Like when the goose stops laying gold, people stop following the golden goose. And that basically is what happened in China, right? And then they also told them what they could read on the internet and, you know, how they could talk to people and when their family could come in and out. So I don't think it was a great lifestyle either for them. As far as MLS goes, the league itself needs to be stronger and market itself better, but it's improved. I think they do a better job of buying foreign players than they used to. And I think they do a better job of marketing within their small sectors. Here's the thing. If the recent report that just came out is true, right? Soccer people should be happy. It basically was reported that recently that uh, soccer has overtaken hockey as the fourth most watched sport in America. And it's only eight percentage points, and you'll love this, T, eight points off of baseball, which is the closest any sport has ever gotten to any of the big three, with basketball being well above baseball and, of course, the NFL being, you know, the animal in the room that's not going to be touched. But they credit that not to the growth of MLS. They credit that to the growth of the world game and people following the Premier League, following Serie A, being able to have the streaming services, and the young kids watching soccer here. So I think that that shows, to your point, it took 30 years since you got here in college. Um, and don't bring me and Paul down with you, by the way. I think Paul was in middle school and I was in high school in the mid-90s when – Are you guys serious? Here, so. God damn it. Well, BJ was saying – BJ was calling me young, so I don't know how ancient he is because <laughs> I consider right. myself pretty ancient. <laughs> I mean, I do think soccer is catching on here. It's not going to happen overnight, but, you know, there's a reason that the NFL took off in this country, had a lot to do with a very certain video game that John Madden produced and young kids fell in love with, and they all figured out how football worked, and they got more into it. 
And, and, you know, FIFA has done that for a young generation, creating a lot of fans all over the place. And I, I think that uh, soccer only has places to go up, uh, but it's never going to be MLS. It's always going to be the European game that takes it to the next level. Well, until they bought freaking FIFA 21, which is crap, by the way, freaking bugs and stupid things all over the place. And honestly, nobody should be watching baseball. I know you're a fan there, Gally, but are you a baseball fan, by the way, Bickler? I don't think I've ever heard you talk about baseball. Does Michigan play baseball or? Uh, yeah, we have a team called Detroit Tigers. They're historically bad, like most things out of Detroit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I grew up as, as playing baseball, was a baseball fan, but the strikes killed it for me, man. Like I just had our time getting back into it. Uh, I watch in October. I'm, I'm that guy. I'll, I'll skip the first 140 games of the baseball season and I'll watch the last 50 that matter. Unwatchable. I have deemed that sport unwatchable, and I have given it a fair shot. I'm not just saying this as a foreigner because I listen about American football when I came here as well. You uh, watch MLS, you can watch baseball. Like, nah, I mean, nah, you can't. It, I, I think it's even worse because with MLS, you at least have a comparison of what it's supposed to look like. With baseball, you're not like you're not like, oh, I wish I was watching the the J League. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like. <laughs> Like I, and I just consider it very unwatchable. Um, and I love when, you know, people who criticize soccer in the U.S. always talk about scoring and stuff like that and then can watch one dude for an entire minute throw one ball and then, you know, scratch here, scratch there, look left, look right, and then mm-hmm. throw another ball a minute later. Yeah, we can do – I can do a – I know Galley was uh, tempting me to do a, like a rant, but it would oh. make this podcast for like two hours if I gave every problem I have with baseball. Uh, I agree with Cosgrove who says baseball is a big game of catch, which went too far. I think it's an ideal game for American like, you know, TV, media, and like the game experience. Because when people even go to the baseball game, there's not a lot of game watching going on. And I've been to like, you know, I went to a Cubs-White Sox game over here. They were like, oh, you got to see the atmosphere. And I was like, atmosphere? I mean, yeah, you got to see. There's more like people watching and stuff. There's not a lot of game watching. There's more eating and drinking. It's yeah. more like, you know, kind of like. You can like, 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 old style anywhere, I mean. Oh, man, that was another thing, by the way. I don't know if anybody drinks old style over here, but God damn. I remember when I first went to Wrigley, they were like, hey, you got to do the entire Cubs experience. Go to Cubby Bear, have an old style and stuff. And I was like, I thought they were fucking with me because, I mean, that thing is just worse than that. Piss, I never drank piss, but I can't see it being any worse than that. And yeah, I did all these little things that you're supposed to do when you go to a game at Wrigley. And I left the game at the sixth inning because I was like, I just can't do this anymore. Of course, I went, I left the game, went to a place. They told me to go and you got to go over here and have some drinks, blah, blah. As I was there, this is when Sammy Sosa was steroiding himself to death uh, and hitting home runs. The moment I left, they started scoring runs and stuff. But yeah, we can talk about how crappy baseball is for hours, but let's not get into that. We'll save it for like another day, but we'll do like a little poll. Well, gentlemen, so we're saying... Next Monday, we will be having another two wins under our belt, hopefully as long as we play the Spurs game. Thanks to all for listening, watching, commenting, all that kind of stuff. Do all the things that we always forget to ask about, share and all that kind of like and all that kind of good stuff. And then we'll see you guys next week at the same time. Take care.